John Besh is a poster boy for Southern charm. He's our latest Key 3 chef. Now, with Key 3, we go into the kitchens of exceptional cooks to learn firsthand the three dishes that they think every cook and wannabe cook should know. Well, for John's Key 3, we went to New Orleans to his restaurant, August. August is in an old French-style building downtown. It's a restaurant that you dress up for. But the kitchen is where we had all the fun. That's where John announces you as you enter so that all the cooks can yell out a welcome. (laughs) So here was John, ready for his Key 3, with a skillet, eggs, and some other interesting things. John, it's great to be here in the kitchen with you. So what are your key three? One is a creamy vegetable soup, a creamy any vegetable soup. And just to know the basics of how to do this without using a lot of cream and just using what the vegetables give us naturally is something um, inherent that I think every cook needs to know. Another is to make a good risotto. Uh, Risotto is so misunderstood. And I think to make a good risotto takes a little bit of restraint and takes some respect from Uh the cook. And I, Uh I just love to do that. And I think every great chef needs to know. The last but not least is something as simple as cooking an egg. When you take a beautiful farm egg that's been raised on this great diet and you do as little to it as possible and you cook it just uh, ever so gently, sunny side up, or as the French would say, au la plat, would just be perhaps the tastiest thing you've ever had in your life. And I can't wait to share I've it with never, you. I've never heard a fried egg being <laughs> described with quite that. All right, so where do you want to begin? Which one do you want to do? Uh, let's do the fried egg. Okay, all right, okay. So we've got, oh boy, these eggs are gorgeous. What? These eggs are multicolored. Are they, they're from right, the local so, farm? Well, we, these all come from our farm across the lake. We uh-huh. actually have a um, chicken coop that stays in relatively high production. And so we have these incredible eggs, and we also have some of our um, farmstead butter from across the lake as well. Oh, wow. And you wow. marry those two together, and let me tell you, it's just going to be perfect. Can I show you? Sure. Go Can right I ahead. really get messy? Can I do this Absol- the way Go. I would do it at home? Go. With- so what I'm doing is I'm taking just a little chilled farmstead butter, and I'm rubbing it in a re- relatively liberal manner around the small cast iron pan. And the pan is probably eight, nine inches in diameter. Yeah, and it, it's a, I, yeah, I want yeah. something small. I don't uh-huh. want these eggs to really spread out too much. And I'd really, it's hard to have anything cool or room temperature in this hot kitchen. Right. It's relatively hot, but I'd like this to be a cool pan if possible. And so you have this cool smear of butter all over um, the small cast iron uh, pan. And then we'll crack... Um, an egg. This egg comes from one of our Araconda chickens, which is a so that's why it's green. South America, and we're just gonna drop those, just like that. And maybe you're we'll putting the butter in a cool pan, and you're cracking the eggs right into a into cool, the cool pan. pan. I've never seen this before. Now, we have one from an egg from two different chickens. So you, the yolks are really different cute. too. Bright orange and bright yellow. And what I want to do is then place it over a low heat. I want this heat not to necessarily be low, 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 but I, I really want it to be um, 
Something if you were using a um, burner at your house, this would be medium low to medium flame. Ah. The beauty of this is that it's all about the egg and it's all about just a little smear of butter. We want this to, you want the egg to coagulate really slow, right? And so right now we're watching the, um, the egg whites and they're slowly um, turning to this opaque color. And that's, that's what I don't want is what my grandmother used to have happen in her cast iron skillet and that sizzle and pop and Why I not? don't want that I don't want the eggs to start to caramelize when you have the caramelization taking place then you're you're adding flavors that distract us from the creaminess of the of the white and the yolk itself do and the so, eggs toughen when they cook that way I think they do and watch yeah. this it starts to bubble ever so slightly, and that's really not what I'm talking they, about. This the is, whites are getting solid. They're yeah, turning opaque. And so you have the opaque whites. I'm just going to move this to as low a heat as possible. And I'm going to take a little bit of sea salt and just give a small dash of sea salt with my fingertips right over those eggs. These are cooking slow. And by doing this, I want those egg whites to coagulate at the same time that it takes the egg yolk just to heat all the way through. And you have perfection. You've, God's given us these incredible eggs that we want to do as little to, we want to manipulate them as little as possible, bringing out the perfect flavor. And I think that's the beauty of something like an egg. You don't have to do much to it. And so once those egg whites have cooked all the way through, Right. We're ready, and we will. I'll just like place the back of my finger right over the egg yolks, and you'll notice they're still a little cold. The egg yolk is still a little cool, but is it and cooked I'm just gonna, through? It's not cooked through yet. Okay. And so I'm just going to remove it from the heat. Uh -huh. This is still a very hot pan, and within a minute, this will be nice, and um, we'll have these nice creamy whites that have cooked all the way through, and the yolks are warm. That is heaven, sister. <laughs> John, this is really intriguing. I don't think I've seen slow-cooked eggs, but never this technique <laughs> with a fried egg. So this is the slower, the better? Right. I, I think the slower, the better. The higher, highest quality egg and butter, the better. Uh -huh. And so small amount of butter. And just take this cold pan. It goes against the grain of everything that we're taught as right. cooks. Right. The cook or I, I say the chef in us all, our inner chef, wants to wants to overdo everything it is that we cook. We want to over-season. We want to mask. We want right. to manipulate. But if we can restrain ourselves from doing that, we will allow this egg to become almost magical. And now feel that egg yolk right there. All right. The back of your finger ever it's so slightly. See how it's just starting to warm up. up. Warming up. Just warming up. And so that tells us... Mm that it is done. Now, I'll just ease these out. And we could do this in a Teflon pan if we wanted to. Right? You could, but you don't need to. And I think that's also part of the skill of cooking an egg properly, is where you're not relying on all these artificial mm -hmm. contraptions. We actually have that's beautiful. a good old cast iron pot, or pan rather, I'm sorry. Okay, so now let's have a taste. <laughs> Which one are you going to give a shot to first? Well, you can see the difference in just the breed of chicken will give you a different I think yolk. I'm going to try the... Uh, They're the, both fed the same diet. Right, but this is going to be the chicken with the green shell. And so... Ooh, ooh. Oh. This is like eating cream. 
Isn't that good? It's so soft and lush on the tongue and pure, unadulterated egg. Let me see if I can taste a difference from one <laughs> egg to another. Oh, the other one, the yolk is richer tasting. It, it, and it may be a case of it's cooked a little bit differently, or the salt, but it, it's a and, little and richer And I think tasting. it might even be cooked just a little more. It was a slightly smaller egg. Yes. And so yeah. if you notice, that yolk actually warmed through. And the warmer it gets, the creamier of a texture that it's going to have. It's going to have a whole different mouthfeel. Two different chickens fed same diet, two different colored eggs, two different size eggs, cooked exactly the same. Low heat, a little bit of butter, and just a small amount of uh, sea salt. That's heaven. Okay, John, let's, let's get out of the kitchen and go talk about your other two recipes. So, John, we've talked about the first of your key three, the, I hate to say it, the fried egg. It's really the <laughs> coddled, gently nursed egg. Yeah. Right. Um, let's talk about the other two recipes. What are they? Well, the other two recipes, one would be our cream of any vegetable soup. And the way I look at this is that um, as a cook, this is the way that I can extract as much uh, flavor as I can out of a vegetable make a nice, beautiful soup out of it that works both hot and cold. For instance, right now it's the spring, asparagus season, or it's the spring down here anyway. Yeah. It's not quite spring yet, but it's asparagus season. And so I have friends growing white asparagus for me. We have big, thick green asparagus coming. And I love to take those trimmings and what to do with the trimmings. But as a chef, you make money from the trimmings. Right. And so you, you need to be able to make the most out of your vegetables, even if, uh, you know, by, by using the trim alone. That's a little trick of the trade. And as a chef, that's so very important to um, the art of making this uh, work financially as mm -hmm. well as creating beautiful food. And so I learned long ago, and it was in France, where to create these beautiful, delicate soups without using a roux, which but would be using the flour and butter cooked together as right, a foundation. Right, ordinarily, and, and, and a lot of soups down here in South Louisiana, naturally, are roux-based soups. And they're the old styles of browning the roux and letting that roux be the uh, foundation of the color mm -hmm. of so much of the great gravies and uh, soups and um, sauces that we love. But instead, to get away from that, and I love to use a potato, and I'll take a simple potato, an onion, a clove of garlic, and simmer any vegetable that you can imagine. Let's just take asparagus, for instance. Uh -huh. Chop the potato up. Right. Chop the onion up. You don't have to get so fancy. It could be a general medium to large dice. It, mm -hmm. The soup it's gonna cook doesn't, one isn't going to pick other. a favorite. Right. Um, you smash the garlic up, you drop it into a pan with, or a pot rather, with a little bit of olive oil. You allow that um, garlic to simmer over medium low heat just to develop the flavors. You add the onion in there. I don't want to caramelize the onion where we're heating it over a high flame, but I want to keep that flame relatively low. 
um, gently cooking, or as Sheppy terms say, a lot of times we, we say we are sweating the onion and the garlic. Such well, an attractive term, but it does Sweating bring is out nothing more flavor. than, than um, cooking, the, uh, cooking the vegetables so that they soften, releasing, um, releasing moisture, which in fact intensifies and sweetens the flavor of the vegetable. So we're cooking these aromatics like the onion and the garlic. Then I'll throw in a generous amount of uh, asparagus peelings. Let's make it a white asparagus soup, why don't we? Mm. We'll take the white asparagus peelings, we'll drop them in, and we'll let those slowly cook with the olive oil and the onion and the garlic. Okay, we need just a touch of spice, so I'll just take some crushed uh, red pepper flakes, the kind that you might find at a simple pizza joint, yeah. and just a pinch of those all we need, and we'll go right into the pot. A t sprig of thyme, and let's take one um, beautiful new spring uh, potato. We'll take that potato and just peel it and chop it and throw it in, and it doesn't have to be chopped any special way, but let's just say for the sake of conversation, medium to large dice. We'll let that simmer just for a moment, and so we're releasing all this moisture, steam seeping up. You can smell the thyme and the garlic and the, the asparagus kind of commingling in the air, and then it's time to add a little bit of chicken broth just to cover it. Now, if you have the vegetable broth, you can do that, but I love chicken broth because it's so neutral and it'll work well. And almost a sweet flavor that works perfectly mm -hmm. with the asparagus peelings. And so we'll add, um, let's just say, we'll cover all the vegetables with that um, chicken broth. And then I'll add a little bit of cream. And for cream, no more than a third of the amount of chicken broth. And so mainly chicken broth. Add a little bit of cream. Let that come to a simmer until the potatoes are tender. Once they're tender, go ahead and puree and then pass through a fine sieve. You don't want to cook this for hours. You just want to cook it just enough to cook the potatoes so that starch is released. And when you puree it, it'll thicken this chicken cream vegetable broth in such a way that it's almost like velvet on the tongue. And you can actually serve this with just a tad of lemon juice, just a squeeze of Meyer lemon, and serve that cold Ooh, with asparagus yeah. salad on the side, or maybe even a little garnish from some smoked salmon would be beautiful for a spring brunch. Or it can be hot with a jumbo lump crab meat and even more asparagus <laughs> tips uh, submerged in the soup. So what do you think? I'm, I'm sold. I'm sold. <laughs> and why is this such a key recipe for you, though? Well, the beauty of it is the simplicity, again, in this dish, the, of just taking a few meager ingredients and combining them in a way and respecting them in a way and doing as little as you can to them, allowing the uh, beautiful flavors to come out and really be flavor-forward so that we are not over cooking. We're not adding too much to take us away from the beauty of the asparagus, which is essentially mm -hmm. the uh, focus of the soup. And also, you're using something we would normally throw away. Right. The peelings. Using the peelings um, allows us to get nutrients, color, flavor, everything, which a lot of times ends up in the rubbish. And I think that's the important thing as a cook, is to extract as much flavor and put as much passion into in every ingredient that you can possibly find, allowing the ingredient to speak. I'd love the idea of the elegance that you come up with at the end of this process, but you're starting out with some of the most inexpensive ingredients you would ever have in your kitchen. 
So between those two, you go from one extreme to the other, which to me is a great piece of this. But let's talk about the last of the key threes. You said a risotto. And that's another curious choice, especially for a Southern cook. Well, you know, I grew up in a rice culture. We had rice with every meal. On big Sunday suppers, we would have rice, sweet potatoes, and even um, mashed potatoes, for that matter. <laughs> but rice was always there. Uh -huh. And I don't think I appreciated the risotto until I spent a good amount of time in the Camargue in southern France, where my mentor was from, Port Saint Louis, um, near the salt marsh estuaries of uh, Marseille uh -huh. in, in the Bouche de Rhone. And the love and the appreciation that they had for these short grain rices was beautiful. And I realized this wasn't even in Italy. This, this happened to be in France. And what I've noticed is that the rice would take in, and if you respected that rice, just like everything else that I talk about cooking, it takes a degree of restraint, and restraint requires respect and love of it. And so to create this great risotto means that you're really respecting the rice and you're just not throwing a lot of fat into a pan and lots of this and lots of that and stir, stir, stir so that the rice breaks down and mm -hmm. it's just a starchy, gloopy mess, which too often happens to be the case whenever we have you know, this American-style risotto. I'll never forget the trend when I was coming up as a young chef in the 90s where people actually made risottos that would take that would stand up in a plate and there would be forms that you would, they would pour risottos in and <laughs> remove the forms and the risotto is still standing like a tower and it just isn't right. Risotto should be eaten out of a bowl and it should be really simple and, and yes, peasant food on one hand and so sexy and, and exquisite on the other. And so I love the fact that we can take um, a rice like the Aborio rice, which I think is probably the most common rice used yeah. for risotto, and everybody can find it in there. And I, I think nearly every grocery store that I've been into in the last couple of years. And so you can take this rice, and um, I love to begin by just gently rinsing the rice. You know, this rice has been put in the bag, who knows when, by who knows what, and who knows how long. Right. And right. I love to, to rinse it. As I'm rinsing it, I have a small pan over a medium flame with a touch of butter. In that butter, I'll place, let's just say I'll place a um, half of an onion. I'll dice the onion uh -huh. up so it's nice and small diced. And we just want the onion just to melt away. We want the onion, uh, when it's cooked down, to be about the size of the little grains of, of rice. And so they almost disappear. And we'll cook the, this onion small diced uh, while stirring with a wooden spoon so that we're not scraping up on the bottom of a, of a pot with a metal spoon. I mean, this takes a little bit of finesse. So mm -hmm. we'll stir it around with the wooden spoon and, and we're, we're, gonna, we're, we're cooking it at medium heat, releasing all the moisture until it is just perfectly soft and um, colorless. And it, the room is then filled with the, the beautiful aromas of the sweet onion and butter mingling together. At that point, I'll take a sprig of rosemary and drop the rosemary right into the pan. 
and allow the rosemary to uh, sweat, if you will, just a little mm -hmm. bit, releasing some of the oils that give it its pungent flavor into the pan. And then I've added, I'm adding the rice. So I'll add a couple of cups of rice. And what I'll do is um, stir the rice around for a good three to five minutes so that in essence, I'm coating each kernel of rice, each grain of rice with just a little bit of that beautiful butter that's uh, just mm -hmm. steeped in rosemary and onion. And I'll toss that around a good bit. And um, let's say five minutes goes by and we don't want this to color at all. We, want, we don't want the onions to pick up any brown coloring. Uh, from overheat and overexposure to that heat. And we don't want the rice to, to burn as well, to, to begin to brown. I'll add and I'll just cover um, the rice with about a cup and a half, maybe even two cups of um, just chicken broth right over the top. And a good, rich chicken broth. There's nothing better than that. So I have to go in to tell you how I like to make my chicken broth. I've already <laughs> talked about it twice now. You'll take the chicken. You'll... And they have to be nice chickens raised by somebody you know that loves them. And they were all <coughs> in a relatively humane manner. <laughs> and so you've seasoned them with salt and pepper inside and out. You stuffed them with cloves of garlic and you've massaged them with uh, extra virgin olive oil. And then seasoned the outside with hearty herbs that will perfume it as it, as it roasts in a 375 degree oven for most you know for nearly an hour until it's mm -hmm. golden brown if not mahogany and then you've taken this bird and you've carved off all the meat and everybody's enjoyed it but the best is this is this carcass and you cover that carcass um with garlic cloves and all you cover that carcass with water and you add in an onion a carrot and a stalk of celery and you bring it to a simmer and you allow it to simmer for a good hour and a half to two hours and you've got the just the most beautiful broth that's light color but is rich and and all the aromatics that went into the chicken yeah from the olive oil to the herbs and so this broth means something so you take this broth it goes right in over the rice the rice is cooking still only at medium mm -hmm. we slowly heat it up and so um at most to about medium high it begins to simmer as it's simmering, the rice begins to absorb all the chicken broth. At this point, begins to simmer, we cover it. We turn it on medium-low, all the way down. So we brought it up to a simmer, starts right. to boil, then we cover it. And we just let it sit at a low simmer for about 10 minutes. Then we take a peek at it. It's dry. We add a little more broth. We add another cup, let's say. And we repeat this process twice until we've added a ratio of uh, four parts broth to one part rice. And so the ratio just depends upon the size of the pot and how many mm -hmm. people that you mm -hmm. intend on feeding. Mm -hmm. And so you'll cook this for a good um, 20 minutes. And it's absorbed about all that it's going to absorb. And right at the last minute, you'll add in some beautiful Parmesan cheese, whatever great Parmesan that you have. But let's just imagine it's just this great crumbly, buttery uh, Reggiano Parmigiano, and you can throw that in, along with um, maybe a, a little dash of um, a tablespoon of uh, 
cold or soft butter, and we're just going to stir that so that Parmesan cheese begins to melt and coat every kernel, making every little kernel a grain of rice nice and glossy white. And there you really have something. And I haven't even touched on the fact that we could add mushrooms. We, this could be, we could add porcinis halfway through. We could add truffles at the very end. No matter what you add to it, it will only bring out the essence of, um, the, the rice will only absorb the essence of what it is that you add to that pot. And if you do it right, you'll end up with each kernel um, or each grain of rice being nice and plump and soft, but at the same time, having a slight bite. And you only stir it at the very end. You stir it just to incorporate the cheese and just a little touch of butter. And as you do that, you're releasing some of the starches that um, weren't released when you washed the rice, but these are the starches that will break down and give this gorgeous creamy texture to it. And um, one of my favorite things to do is add just a little maybe uh, one big dollop of whipped cream, just good fresh oh. cream that's whipped. And I'll add that at the very end. And just, I fold that in with the cheese, with a little bit of butter, and that goes onto the plate. If you can shave some beautiful truffles over the top, you've really <laughs> got something there. But the rice alone is <laughs> worth making. Sounds fabulous. John, thank you so much for the key three. <laughs> I could talk forever about it. <laughs> And I could listen forever. Thanks a lot. Chef John Besch's latest book is My Family Table. Get his recipes for how to make a risotto of almost anything and cream of anything soup. This man is a working theme here. It's all at SplendidTable.org.